Glad that you're here. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. We pray for us and we'll just jump right into our study. Father, thank you again for this chance to come and to open your word and allow you to speak to us. Lord, as we move into the good news tonight of the gospel and how righteousness is available and it's not by anything we do. Lord, I pray that this truth that we know would take even deeper root in our hearts. Your word tells us that if we're rooted and grounded in love, We'll have the ability with all the saints to understand the height, the width, the depth, and the breadth of of your love for us. And Father, those of us here tonight, for the most part, all of us, you know, there may be some that don't get it just yet and haven't been saved. And there might be some online that haven't been saved yet. But for the most part, those who are here and those who have been watching online, we understand the good news, but we don't. And that's why I'm so excited about tonight and the next few weeks as we go deeper into the good news of the gospel. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that you would keep me from trying to articulate these deep truths and trying to help people see it in my own strength. May I rest in your word and the power of your spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. But, Lord, I want to understand it even more. And I pray that for all of us here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Now, we won't even get even probably about halfway through these verses tonight. and We'll pick up in a couple of weeks when we meet back together. But let's just kind of start unpacking what's here Paul has laid out the bad news already in chapter 1 and 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, that all are guilty before God because of their sin. Now we see in verse 21 the word now. It says, but now the righteousness of God. Look closely. I don't want you to think that now means something has changed. Because as you're going to see, the law and the prophets have been saying what Paul's about to say all along. So he's not saying something has changed. This truth has been there all along. Uh, But... Paul's now is simply a change in the direction of the focus of Paul's argument from man's sin to God's provision for man's sin. All right. So when it says, but now it's not now there's something different. No, it's always been, as you're going to see tonight, that salvation is by grace through faith in God's provision for man's sin. And the law and the prophets have been saying that all along. So he's just changing the focus of his argument now. So. Through Jesus' death, God's righteousness that we all need has been manifested or made known 
as apart from the law, as it says there in verse 21, look at it again, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of time to show you how the Bible's been saying all along that salvation has never been accomplished through obeying God's rules. And righteousness is not given by doing good works. And the Bible's been clear on that. Go back to Romans chapter 3, look at it again at verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Again, ironically and sadly, most of the world today, if you were to ask them, are you going to be in heaven when you die? They say yes, because they think they're pretty good. They've done pretty well. They think their righteousness, their earned righteousness is going to get them into heaven, which is a lie from the enemy. And it's, a, it's deceived them. Go over to Romans chapter four. Look at verses 13 through 15. Romans chapter 4, verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. And so Paul says here is, again, if God made a promise to Abraham, and we're going to deal with that later on in our study of Romans. It was by faith that he was given righteousness. And it's not tied to the law. And again, like he says here, um, if it is to the adherents of the law her to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Go with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, just one verse, verse 16. Galatians 2, verse 16. It says, yet we know... That a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. I'm going to read that to you again, because I don't think that can get any more clear, can it? I mean, he says it the same way over and over and over. Listen to what he says again. And if you're out there today and you're listening and you think you're going to be OK when you stand before God because you've been a pretty good person. Listen closely to God's word. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through the through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. If you think you can be good enough, you're never going to get there. You can't get there. Go to Galatians chapter three. Look at verses 10 and 11. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, the cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. In other words, well, we just keep reading verse 11 and then I'll explain it. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. Folks, again, if you're trying to be good enough. To be okay with God. That's what you mean. That's what the Bible talks about when it says you're trying to get righteousness by the law. In other words, God said, don't do this and don't do that and do do this and do do that. And so you think you're a pretty good person and you've done pretty well. Have you been perfect? Because the only ones who try to get there by being good have to do it perfectly. And there isn't a person that thinks they've done it perfectly. Yet Satan has convinced the world that you can be good enough to be given righteousness by God by being good. It's not possible. 
You've got to get to that point where the Spirit of God and the truth of God's Word sinks into your hearts. No one will be declared righteous by observing the law. That's why a righteousness has been made known, which has always been, apart from the law. You can't get there through being good enough. Go to Galatians chapter 5. I'm not even close to done showing you how the Bible said this over and over and over. Galatians 5 verses 1 through 6. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I Paul say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul's writing to a group of Christians who have been told, okay, you believe in Jesus, but you still got to do some things too. You're not righteous enough by just being believing in Jesus. You have to, on top of believing in Jesus, do these things. Some of you were raised in a denomination that taught you had to do so many sacraments and you had to die in a state of grace and you had these things you had to do. Oh, they taught you to believe in that Jesus did and that he died on the cross for your sins. But you also have to meet certain requirements. Anything added to faith in Jesus Christ is a way of trying to become righteous by observing the law and keeping God's rules. And can anyone be declared righteous by observing the law? No. And if you're going to try that, You've been severed from faith in Christ. You're now back on your own, trying to get there on your own. Oh, and by the way, you have to be perfect. But isn't it sad how much Satan has convinced the world that we can be good enough? Go to Ephesians chapter 2. You're in Galatians. Turn over one book to Ephesians 2. We all know verses 8 and 9, but again, I'm just going to let you let the Scripture and the Word of God just bomb you today with this truth. Look at verses 8 and, eight and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Again, has anybody noticed the theme here in all these passages? Salvation is not by observing the law, by being good enough. It's a gift of God. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Listen to what Paul says in verses 1 through 9. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. It's good for you. Now look out, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith." He said, if anybody could even try to go down that road of, I've been good enough, 
I challenge you to show somebody that worked harder than me. But I came to realize I wasn't going to get to heaven that way, even though I was a Pharisee and one of the leaders in that sect. I threw it all away because I've come to realize if there's going to be righteousness, it's coming through faith in Jesus Christ. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, look at verses 8 and 9. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, Paul said, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This plan of salvation was planned by God before the creation of the world. Jesus was planned before God made the first bush, you see. And it's been that way all along. Now, again, <laughs> Paul says, this is going to cause problems. That's what he's saying. Don't be ashamed of me and the, and the suffering we're going through because of the gospel. Does anybody have any idea why the world doesn't like the fact that salvation is only by faith in Jesus Christ? There's lots of reasons. But the Bible teaches very clearly that there's only one way in which you be saved. And that's through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And that's through Jesus. Jesus himself in John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yet the world today tries to say there's lots of ways and you can be good enough. Real quickly, throw out a couple of ideas you might have. Why do you think the world doesn't want salvation to be a free gift through faith only in Jesus Christ? Pride. We want to have some kind of credit for getting into heaven by our own effort. Until you're willing to throw that away, you really never understand the gospel. That's why Paul has no problems, even though he was saved, seeing himself as chief of sinners. He understood his lostness. He understood that he was rejecting the only way in which he could be made right with God for the longest time. And God in his mercy was patient with him and saved him. Go to the book of Titus. Turn over another book. Look at Titus chapter 3. Look at verses 4 through 7. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Um, I think you get the idea. Righteousness has been made known, which has been, it's apart from the law. It's apart from being good enough. Now, let me stop real quick. We're not going to spend too much time on this because we'll deal with it more later on in our study of Romans. But I want to talk to you, those that are here. Like I said at the beginning, most of you probably already are Christians. You understand that salvation is not by your own works and you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior. But that problem we all have of wanting to have credit, you still got that problem. You and I still have that problem. It's in our flesh. And until we get out of these bodies, we're going to have a wrestling match with that. And some of you still sin. Actually, if you're honest, all of you still sin. 
And when you do, and the spirit that's within you convicts you of sin, your first reaction many times is, I will make it right. I'll do better. God, I'll do a couple of things to make you like me again. And your flesh wants credit. And you have to get to that point where you learn, and we'll get to that in our study of Romans, how to surrender on a daily basis to the Spirit and receive His forgiveness. Walk in obedience to Him, but again, not rest in anything you do. That's why Paul says, and sorry, not Paul, David said in Psalm 51, if you desired sacrifice because of my sin with Bathsheba, I'd do it. But what you're looking for is a repentant heart, a contrite heart that you won't despise. Bill? Is there, what is your thoughts on accountability, age of accountability? On the age of, my thoughts, real quick, because we get a lot to cover. My thoughts on the age of accountability is I believe the Bible teaches it as you put a whole of scripture together. You won't find one verse that teaches it. But if you put the whole of scripture together, God will hold people accountable once they're accountable. And all of us come to that at different points. As we've already dealt with in our study of Romans, everybody receives some sort of light and all at different amounts and different times. But I believe the Bible teaches without question that God will not send someone to hell who never had an opportunity to respond. The Bible teaches that children that are born at death or whatever, I mean, born at death, try again, <laughs> die at birth. Uh, they're in heaven without question. The Bible teaches that. And so but. There comes a point for each of us where we are accountable because we've had our eyes open to the truth. That's different for everybody. And we can't say it's at 13 or 11 or 10. Don't, don't go there. But is there such a thing? Without question. Without There's question. A lot of people teach that. Yes. It's a very biblical doctrine. But again, to go into it deeply, and I'd have to show you a bunch of scriptures, it's there. But it's tied to once God's opened your eyes... You're now accountable. It's not a specific age. Not a specific age. No, no. Let's stay away from that. Again, that's trying to put man's wisdom into it again. So, righteousness is not received by doing things, but by faith alone in what Jesus himself has done. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 23, because we're going to... Allow some of this truth, hopefully, to sink in. I'm going to keep from trying to preach this whole passage because we've got so much to cover tonight. But look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 23. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscious, consciousness of their sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. By the way, as you notice in your Bible, those are all quotes from the Old Testament. Now, when he said the above... You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. They are, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, the second one, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I'll remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. In other words, if Jesus has already paid for all of your sins, what do you think you're going to do to make things a little better? It's been taken care of. We've got to let this truth sink in. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through the flesh, through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the conf confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So here he's saying, look, all of the law required, the offerings and the sacrifices, these were all required by the law. But Jesus came and said, sacrifices you have not desired. Now, this is going to cause a little question that Paul's going to deal with later on in our study tonight, but mainly in, when we get a little further along in the study of Romans. But, the, OK, so is the law bad then? We're going to deal with the answer to that question, but the short answer is no, and we'll get to that later on. So, even though the law cannot make us righteous, God's law and the prophets had borne witness to salvation, how salvation being through faith in Jesus all along. Go back to Romans chapter 3. Look again at verses 21 and following. He says, but now, change my argument, righteousness, of the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, what I want to show you is, is that all along, Paul said, the law and the prophets have been pointing to this truth, this manifested thing that's being revealed, that salvation has been by faith alone in Jesus Christ, not by anything we do. All right. That's been there all along. So I'm going to take some time to show you some scriptures that kind of illustrate this. And it's going to cause a question to come up. And I hope it does, because we're going to try to answer it. So go to Romans chapter one. Look at Romans chapter one, verses one through four. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through who? Through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning who? His son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he says, look, I'm going to write to you about this gospel. Oh, and by the way. The prophets told about this gospel beforehand. All along, the prophets have been pointing to what I'm going to tell you now is not something new. It's something that's been there all along. Folks, let me just say something to you. The, the true faith of Christianity and faith in Jesus Christ can be traced all the way back to the beginning of time. Islam didn't even start until 600 years after the church began. And all these other religions began at a certain point. 
Judaism and Christianity are tied together. Unfortunately, the Jews didn't understand that the, their, their writings, the law and the prophets, they all were pointing to the truth that has now been revealed to us and those of us who are in the church. But we can't say, well, Christianity started around the time of Jesus coming to there. No, Christianity has been there all along. It goes way back to the beginning. That's why back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God himself tells Satan, a seed, a descendant of the woman is going to defeat you. That's from the beginning. And who was that descendant of the woman that was going to defeat Satan? It's Jesus. Christianity is the only one you can trace back to the beginning of the world. The beginning of time. Go with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Look at verses, just verse 39. Jesus is talking to the Jews especially here. Look what he says in John 5, 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Again, he's talking to the Jews, especially the Jewish leaders at this time. What scriptures did they have that they're searching? The Old Testament. He goes, you're searching the scriptures because you think that if you can figure out how to have eternal life, how to be good enough, you can have eternal life. These scriptures have been talking about me. The law and the prophets have testified about Jesus and how salvation is but through faith in God's provision for man's sin. We know his name now all along. He was prophesied to be the one who was going to come, a descendant of David and so on, the suffering servant and so on. All along, the scriptures have been talking about this gospel that we talk about. It's not a new thing. It's been there all along. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. By the way, have you noticed that Paul's writings here in the beginning of Romans are pretty much dealing with all the same questions that are out there today? That the world tries to throw out? What about those who have never heard? He dealt with that. They all hear. But what about this? What about that? It's all, it all answered in the scriptures. 1 Peter 1, look at verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Even the prophets understood that they were being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write about someone and things that were going to be happening in the future, and they wanted to know more. And they were told, wait, not quite for your time period, but it, the truth has been there all along. Salvation's been by faith and God's provision for your sin. But who is it? He'll be revealed in time. Who is it? He'll be revealed in time. By the way, we shouldn't be okay with that too when it comes to the Antichrist. The Bible says he'll be revealed in time and you don't want to be here when he is. None of your business. All right, go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. By the way, if you want it to be your business, Rick, that's a problem. I didn't think so. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Look at verses 17 through 18. Matthew 5, 17 through 18. Jesus said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Because they've been talking about me. 
For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Folks, don't just read the New Testament. Think that we're in the New Testament now? No, it's the whole book. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, 8 says. It's all been pointing to him. You've heard me say it again and again. When Jesus rose from the dead on the Sunday that he rose from the dead, he met with his disciples and he said, all the things, everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. There's still prophecies in the Old Testament that are yet to happen. Promises about Jesus and his second coming that are going to happen. Things we need to understand to understand what's happening on our globe. And we won't be freaked out when we see the latest news and different things. I can't wait to go to Mississippi this coming weekend to talk about prophecy. I'm going to be giving six different messages in three different places up in Mississippi outside of Tupelo and doing a prophecy conference. And I can't wait to show them that some of the things that are happening on the globe that everybody's going, can you believe that they just did this? Can you believe politicians just made this? decision. I'm going to show them. Oh, by the way, the Bible wrote this thousands of years ago. It's all right on schedule. Don't be surprised. Everything's happening just as God said it would. This should encourage us, not freak us out. Go to Isaiah 53. I'm going to just give you one Old Testament passage. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go and pull out many that are there. But let me just give you one that shows that the Old Testament, the prophets especially, as you know, were pointing to Jesus all along. And salvation being by faith in what he accomplished for us. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 6. Who has believed what he has heard from us? In other words, he's heard it. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew, he, whoever this he is, grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he, whoever this he is, had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He, whoever this he is, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he, whoever this he is, was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he, whoever this he is, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned away, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Go to verses 10 through 12 here in Isaiah 53. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for sin or for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He's going to rise from the dead. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Did you catch that? That's the gospel. That's the good news that Paul's been preaching. It's not something new. It's been there all along. There is this individual that was going to come on the scene. And he was going to, according to the other prophecies, be a descendant of David. And he was going to come and die and be put to death by God for all of our sin. But if you have faith in him... You'll be declared righteous. You'll be declared righteous. There's the gospel in the Old Testament. There's many other places. Let me take you to one more 
in the New Testament that talks about this truth. Go to Galatians 3, verses 15 through 22. Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. Paul says, to give a human example, brothers... Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Notice it's singular. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. Well, this is what I mean, Paul said. The law, which came 430 years after the promise to Abraham, doesn't annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So has the question started to creep into your minds yet? Because remember, listen to what Paul said. He said, the law and the prophets bore witness to this gospel of salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ. The righteousness by God is a gift through faith. The law and the prophets bore witness to this. And some of you are probably thinking, but you're afraid to say it. Okay, Jim, I'm with you. I got no problem grasping that the prophets talked about Jesus. I've seen it. You've mentioned just a few. I got no problem that the prophets pointed to Christ. But how did the law point to Jesus? How did the law point to Christ? Well, we don't have time to get into the depth of it. I mean, what were all the sacrifices? Who were they pointing to? It was pointing to Jesus, as the Hebrew writers already pointed out. But the law was also doing something else that a lot of you might not have caught that the Bible's going to show us, which was also pointing us to Christ. What the law was doing, I hear it over here being whispered, it shows us our need of a Savior because of our inability to keep the law. Remember, through the law, we become what? Conscious of sin. And if we are sinners, we need a Savior. Go to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Look at verses 7 through 13. As we saw in the book of Hebrews, the Hebrew writer pointed out that all these law-required sacrifices were all pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, which is Jesus. The ultimate Lamb of God, which is Jesus. But there's more to it. Romans chapter 7. Look at verses 7 through 13. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. By the way, Bill, this is one of those passages that tie to the big conversation about age of accountability. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me, for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Now did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So these babies that die, they still have sin problem. It's passed on to all of us. But if they've never been brought to that point of understanding and accountability, they're not accountable 
But once we have had our eyes open to the truth, and the Bible says all are without excuse, because God has revealed it. And there comes a point where once we've had our eyes open and we'll be judged each according to how much light we've received. Once we've had our eyes open to our sin and our need of a savior, we're accountable now to that information. So all these people out there in the world to think, I'll be good enough. Deep down, you know, you're not good enough. Deep down, you know, you you can't do it. You may try to convince yourself. It's kind of like when the doctor asked me how much I weigh. Oh, about. And it's usually a little bit lower than what the actual weight is. Have you ever been there? Yep. <laughs> you convince yourself that it's really, well, what you're really saying is, is that's where I hope to be in the next couple of days. I'll get there in a couple of Good luck. We got a sin problem. And the law just reveals that problem. By the way, are there commandments in the New Testament for believers? Yeah. yeah. Be holy for I'm holy. By the way, good luck with that. I, I, don't want, I want you to understand what I'm saying. That's one thing God opened my eyes to. Just like the law showed me I couldn't be holy enough to get righteous before God, these commandments of God as a Christian that I'm to do, they kind of serve the same purpose. They drive me to Jesus. They, I've already been saved, but now I want his power to be manifest within me. And when I try and be good enough on my own, even though I'm saved, I can't do it. And the commandment drives me to Jesus. And hopefully you all, over time, learn how to daily say, I can't do it. But you said you would, and I believe you will. And I'm going to walk in obedience to you by your power and by your grace. And when I have victory over sin, I'll know it wasn't me. But if you think, and I've had a pretty good week. You've already deceived yourself. You think you've done something. No. Paul then goes on and says that even though all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, the good news is that we can be justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. In the time we have left, I want to unpack just a few of those words. We're going to unpack. Go back to Romans chapter 3 again. Look at verse um, twenty. We'll start in verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All right. That's as far as we're going to get tonight, because what I want to do is I want to unpack some of these words. We're going to unpack three of them. The word justified, the, the, the term gift, gift of grace and the term Redemption. All right. Those three words that we're going to try to deal with in the time we have left. And I hope that as you really look at these, some of the truth of what's happened through Christ in you and in all of us have trusted him as our savior. That truth really starts to sink in. The first one we're going to look at is justified. Again, look again at verse 23 or 24. And not only have all sinned. We're justified by his grace as a gift for the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. This word justified means to declare righteous. You are declared righteous by God, by our faith in Jesus' righteousness and his provision for our sin. It's kind of like a judge saying you've been declared free. You've been declared righteous. You're not accountable for anything you've done. You're, you're, you're set free. You're not guilty. It's a declaring thing that comes from someone above us who has the authority and the power to declare us so. That's what it means. 
we all hopefully can quote. If not, let me just have you write it down and look at it later on. 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. What did Jesus do to become sin? Did he sin? No. No. It was imputed to him, the Bible says. God took man's sin and put it on Jesus when he died on the cross. He didn't do anything to sin. It was put on him. The sin of man was put on him to the point that Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced hell and the separation from the Father. But he who knew no sin was declared sin so that we who have no righteousness, would be declared righteousness. Righteous. His righteousness has been now imputed to us. You are declared righteous. But Jim, you don't understand. I just don't... No. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Well, when am I going to... Well, we'll get into all that other kind of stuff down the road. But right now, let this truth sink in. Either you are in Christ or you're not. Either you are declared righteous or you're still in your sin. But if you are declared righteous by God, you have been justified, declared righteous. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're at peace with God. Well, I get ahead of myself. Go to Isaiah chapter 53 and look again at verses 4 and 5. Isaiah 53, look at verses 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Now, stick with me. For too long, too many people have tried to take this verse and say that because Jesus died, you won't be sick anymore. That's not what it's saying. And I can show you from Scripture, not just here, but the context is what we're healed and declared righteous. Our sin problem is what's been healed, what's been cured. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 24. Here we see Peter clarify this for us and make it very, very clear. The Bible's very, very clear that if we're in Christ, that doesn't mean we won't be sick. We won't have suffering. Paul had some kind of an ailment that the Lord wouldn't take away. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 24. First Peter 2 verse 24 says this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might be that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The context pretty clear by his wounds. You've been healed is talking about our salvation, our being declared righteous. We had a sin problem. We were sick, actually dead in our sins. And through his righteous obedience and his righteous act, his sinless life, the father took our sin and put it on him. And then by our faith in what he's done, remember, he after he rose from the dead, the father said, I'm satisfied. It's been paid. It's taken care of. Come on back into my presence, he says to his son. 
And once we put our faith in him, his righteousness is given to us. We are declared righteous, whether you like it or not. Hopefully you'll accept it. Now go to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. I've already quoted this, but I want you to see it. His suffering brought us peace, we saw in Isaiah 53. Romans chapter 5, look at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been, there's that word again, declared righteous by what? By faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember when the angels came and announced the birth of Jesus? The glory to God in the highest on earth, what? Peace. Peace. Goodwill toward men. But what's the rest of it? On whom his favor rests. Who does his favor rest on? It's available to everyone. Jesus died for the whole world, but his peace is only given to those who believe, who put their faith in Jesus Christ. But if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're not resting in anything else, you're declared righteous. I don't want to show hands, but I'm pretty sure a lot of you have struggled like I have over the years with the fact that the Bible in the book of Peter describes Lot as righteous. And we go, man, did you look at his life and his story? And did you know the Ammonites and the Moabites came from him and the sin that he committed with his daughters when he was drunk? And, but the Bible says that Lot was righteous. Well, how come? Because it's not tied to how good you lived. You're declared righteous by faith. And God gave Lot righteousness. He gave you and I righteousness. You're justified. You know, all of the, all of the testimonies through the Old yeah, I mean, David, the man after God's own heart, did stuff that we'd be embarrassed to ever let anybody know about. Isaac and Abraham, all of it is to show us that, you know, it's not our behavior. It's not earned, you're right. It's definitely not earned. So, we have been justified, declared righteous. The second thing is this, by a gift of grace. God's grace to you is a gift. It's not earned. Salvation or justification is only received as a gift from God because of his grace. It's not earned. It's not tied to our merit, but simply because of his favor and his goodness toward us. Go to Romans 3 again. Look at verse 27. Romans chapter 3, verse 27. He said, what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law, the law of faith. Go to Romans chapter 1. Sorry, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to his flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And that, by the way, they're quoting Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was justified. He was declared righteous. By the way, let me stop real quick. Remember in Matthew 16, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And the disciples list a bunch of people. And they say, but what are you? Who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, Simon Johnson. He said, um, I love to point that out. He says, blessed are you, Simon Johnson, because flesh and blood didn't open your eyes, but my father's opened your eyes. And I now declare you a new person. You're now Peter. You were Simon. Now you're a new creation. You're Peter. If you keep reading, 
Just a few verses later, Jesus says, oh, by the way, I'm going to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. And Peter jumps up and says, uh-uh, we ain't going to let that happen. And Jesus turns his back to Peter and speaks to him and says, get behind me, who? Satan. Did Peter lose his salvation? No. But he started to live in the flesh again. Even though he had been declared a new creation, he kind of had a bad moment. A few of us have those. But God didn't finish with him. God didn't finish with him. You know how Jesus then comes later on and he says, uh, Satan is asked to sift you all as wheat, but I prayed for you, Simon Peter. Actually, he says, I prayed for you, Simon. Calls him by his old name, even though he's already been declared the new name. He says, and after you're done denying me, because you're going to deny me, um, I want to use you to strengthen the brothers. Peter says, hang on for a second. You don't know me real well. I'm willing to go to prison and death. I love this next part. Jesus looks at him, and you can double check me. He says, I tell you, Peter, new creation, before the rooster crows, you'll deny you know me three times. Jesus says, you have already been declared righteous. You're going to fall into sin for a season. But I see the finished product. Oh, I love that. It's not tied to how well we've kept it. Either you're saved or you're not. Either he sealed you with his spirit or he didn't. But if you have been sealed by his spirit, you are declared righteous. And he who began the good work will finish it. Or he'll just take you home early if you're going to keep fighting it. But you're his. And Peter, even though I know you're going to deny me and I already can tell you specifically how it's all going to play out, I still see the finished product. Boy, if we ever let that truth sink in, how free would we be? If we ever let that truth sink in, salvation is not earned. It's a gift of grace. Go to Romans 5. Look at verses 20 and 21. Now the law came in. To increase the trespass. We already showed that it was to make people sin more so they'd realize their sin problem. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There isn't enough sin you can do to overcome God's grace. Oh, by the way, have you all ever met anybody that fell prey to this lie of Satan? Well, you don't know the bad things I've done. They think that they've sinned so much, God couldn't forgive them. Let God be true and everyone else a liar. The word of God says that no matter how much sin, God's grace is greater. But you have to receive it as a gift. It's the only way it's received, by faith. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 again. Well, I'll just quote it for you. We all know it. For by grace you have been saved, what? Through faith, not of works. It's a gift of God. This isn't your own doing so that no one can boast. Go to Titus chapter three. Titus chapter three. Look at verses three through seven. Titus three, three through seven. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his what? His grace, 
we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Man, that's so cool. Keep reading. This saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So these things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies. He goes on and says, And genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. Now, here's what I want you to understand, folks. The Bible's real clear that we have been saved for good works. But is that so that we can earn God's grace? No, it's so that we can manifest God's grace. The change in us, the righteousness that is now ours, God wants the world to see it. But they'll only see our good works and give glory to God if it's obvious that God did it and not us. Because if you think that you did it and you make sure everybody knows, look how hard I've worked. I've worked here in this church for so many years and I've been on so many committees and my family is a charter member. And if you want the credit, who gets the glory? You do. But if you know how to let God take control and they know that you're as messed up as they are and they see God's good works, who gets the glory? God. I have a sister-in-law, Carlene. She made her husband, John, listen. My brother once in a while tunes in. He may be there tonight. I don't know. But Carlene was famous in our family for saying that I'm one of her favorite preachers, which surprises me because she and I have this antagonistic relationship. It's my sister-in-law. We have to. It's a rule. But she says, I see God working through you when you preach, Jim, because I don't like you. <laughs> And I understand that. And I respect that. And I like that. That means it's God, not Jim. Because she knows Jim. Hey, my family's sitting here at the table. They come regularly. You sit and talk to my wife and my three kids that are here. What an honor that they're sitting here. And they're all in their 20s. They've all moved out of the house. They don't have to be here. That's a glory to God. That's a glory to God because they know me. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 7. Do your good deeds before men, Jesus said, so they may glorify your Father who's in heaven. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 7. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among those whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and has seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, when he displays us for eternity, is it going to say, hey, look what Jim did, look what John did, look what Bill did, look what, no, it's look what I did. Look what I did. Now, this is why some will not get into heaven who think they earned it. You will know pretty well if you don't look at it later on, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Jesus says very clearly, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. In that day, many 
will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons? And I will say to them, Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Hang on for a second. <laughs> when I stand before God and if he were to even say to me, which he won't, thank God, Jim, you're not in. My first reaction would not be, but I did these things. It would be, but I put my faith in your son. I put all my eggs in one basket like your word said. That's why he'll never say it to me because my faith is in Jesus. But these people, their quick reaction was, wait a minute, I did stuff. And I did it for you. Folks, if you think that what you've done is going to earn you points to get you into heaven, you're not saved. Because you're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. It's a gift. By the way, when you get your wages, remember the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is salvation. When you get your wages, it's what you were earned. Salvation is not earned. It's not wages. It's a gift. Well, Jesus said, only those who do the will of my Father who's in heaven. Really? I'm glad you caught that. If you look at this later on and look at John chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 28 and 29, the Jews come to Jesus and they say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What does God want us to do? And Jesus' answer is very simple. He says, the work of God is this, believe in the one that he has sent. So when Jesus said, not everybody says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only him who does the will of my Father, what he's saying is, you put your faith in me. That's what gets you in. Not whether you preach in my name or cast out demons. By the way, could Judas cast out demons? Remember, he sent them all out two by two to go do all these things. And yeah, of course, Jesus could. Is Judas in heaven? No, the Bible's clear he's not. So don't put any confidence in how good you've been or what you do. It's all by grace. It's a gift of grace. Now, the last word we're going to look at in the time we have left, and we're going to hit it fast, is actually... I'm not going to do that. I don't want to rush on redemption. We'll come back next time. In two weeks, we'll deal with the word redemption. It's a wonderful picture of the slave trade and the slave being set free and purchased and redeemed. And I want to pull a lot of depth out of that. And I don't want to rush redemption. So when we come back in two weeks, we'll deal with the word redemption. And we'll get into the big word that a lot of us have heard and don't know what it means. Propitiation. We'll get into propitiation in two weeks. I love you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you then.